Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Hollywood Breaks. We're happy you could join us on Tim Thompson's birthday, no less. Woohoo! This week, Tim and I tackle the changes that are happening over at Peacock, and whether or not that bird is starting to lose its feathers. We also talk a little bit about Bond and its upcoming challenges, as well as what's going on with Halloween Kills and all the fun and excitement that comes along with that. So sit back and, and enjoy the ride with this week's episode of Hollywood Breaks. So do you think Ayatsi's going to shut down Hollywood? Like, it seems like the threat is real. Almost like the writer's strike of the early 2000s. It's going to be... Yeah, I mean, it, and it, yeah, I, it's the threat is definitely real. I mean, a 97% authorization vote for a strike is pretty, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Um, and there are definite issues. And, uh, you know, this, it, it all goes back to the streamers and how they've sort of upended everything in terms of the hours that people work, um, you know, more content is needed quickly. Um, the timelines are a lot smaller. I mean, and I don't think what a pre- a people, a lot of people appreciate, especially if you don't work, have never been on a set, is it's just nonstop work. And you are there late. Um, you got to get up early in the morning because it takes a long time to set up a shot. What people don't really understand is like when you watch a TV show, for example, and you see different angles. Those are all different shots, different takes, different, and they require different setups. So they'll shoot like five setups or whatever. And if it takes a while for the lighting, the actors go back to their trailers, the stand-ins come in, they light everything, they mic everything. They got to make, they got to mark the, the, the marks where the actors have to meet. So they're in the shot. There is so much that goes on. And all of that is done by the IATSE members for the most part. Yeah, and I, I get that. But isn't that what what has changed for them? It's the same. Do you think that the demand that, in that, that is job changed. has changed? Okay. That has not changed. What's changed is the expectation that you need it more and you need it now. And because the, the streamers are demanding more and they don't necessarily the oh. sort of the idea of residuals are complicated with streaming and you know, how that all works. And it's the same sort of arguments that the writers and the actors have been going through with streamers. But the other thing is, is because LA has become such an expensive area to live, a lot of these behind the line workers have been forced to live farther and farther away from their sets. So they have to drive a lot farther. I mean, that's not necessarily something that the studios can fix per se, but maybe they can take that into consideration when they're trying to make sure. movies and get them done. And <clears throat> there's a lot of things that are happening. And it's it's largely because the streamers have just sort of upended a lot of the traditional processes that were in place when it was just, you know, the studios running the thing. Yeah, I wonder if it just so, separates. I, I it For me, it feels like it's going to create additional markets, right? So hmm. IATSE uh, in Los Angeles, sure, that's a... It's a kind of a complicated economic system, right? To where you live right. and where you have to commute to. It's horrible to drive, whatever. But you wonder if these secondary um, markets that have film industry set up, if there isn't more opportunity, therefore, for those other areas to boom. Like I know there's a new studio that just went, just went up in Oklahoma City to truly just capture all this overflow work that's not happening in yeah. LA. And Oklahoma said, yeah. we'll do it for you. We'll take care of it. Georgia has been key, really yeah. huge. Uh, for mm-hmm. years now, and Austin, obviously. So there might be even, I would imagine this is going to spread out some of that work or move it to Canada. Yeah, I mean, again, I think those are all legitimate areas that 
are going to be addressed. I mean, this was supposedly all the IATSE unions like nationwide that were involved in this vote. Um, so I think everybody kind of feels the pressure of trying to get everything done, you know, the long hours. Uh, just to flip the script a little bit, when you work in entertainment, the expectation is the hours are going to be long. Like you're not going to have a traditional nine to five job. You're going to be there late some nights. Some some months are going to be longer than others. But that's that's the the job that you agreed to take. I mean, it was it was you know Tom Rothman used to say to us all the time, "You'll have time to sleep when you're dead." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not necessarily the, that's not necessarily the best analogy, but it kind of gives the sense of some of the mentality. Like, listen, if you want to go work for a nine to five job, go work at a bank. Like this is it's, not nine it's to five. It's very competitive. I mean, the, and I think that competitive very, yeah. nature of it makes it more of that separation of like, this isn't for everyone because quite right. honestly, there are people that be happy to do that job because it's Hollywood. There's some, the, the glamor yeah. of Hollywood draws people in. So, well, I mean, that, but again, to counter that statement, that, that goes to the idea that, you know, well, if you don't want to do it, I'll find someone who'll do it for less because everybody wants to work for me. Everybody wants to work in this business. And I think the large part that is somewhat true, it may be waning slightly, I think, over the course of the last few years. I think a lot more of the talent is heading to Silicon Valley and, you know, that area and versus running to, you know, work for a Hollywood studio. And I, I think the idea that making a movie is become... And, you know, this, again, goes back to what is a movie? What, how do we define movies sure. anymore? And these are all kinds of questions that sort of pack into this, to sort of what's happening. Now, do I think there'll be a strike? I would say the chances are not, simply because they know, and the executive director of the IOTC knows that if they do strike, it's catastrophic. It could be like the nail in theatrical experience. It, I mean, who knows what the repercussions of that would be? And I think they're not, they're not going to, you know, take out the the hand that feeds them per se, as the saying goes somewhat and but they I also have everyone much... back against the wall i mean after yeah you know, the desperation yeah. of the studios and the and the yeah. theaters to get people back yeah it's it's interesting i could just imagine that the the transition of we're going to see a transition in hollywood through so many different areas and different lenses and iatsi is just mm -hmm. a, one that we've um, almost forgotten about right because you yeah. just assume it's there and they're basically letting their voice be known. It's very smart of them. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, but it is I like mean, a, I, to the timing of it's like, ooh, this is this is going to hurt. This one's really going to hurt yeah. if it, if that goes through. I think I think the vote was just it's another it's a negotiation. You always want to try to have leverage. I think the IATSE realizes they have leverage because the studios cannot risk a strike right now. It would be the worst thing ever. So they're like, all right, you know what? You're going to be recalcitrant on sort of like this idea of giving us more residuals or giving us more break time. I'm going to go get a strike authorization. So I have that in my back pocket and it's a 97% authorization. So that means most, almost all the membership wants to strike if you don't give me what I, what I feel is fair. So it's all a negotiation tactic. I think both sides realize a strike is the last thing the business needs right now. Um, but yeah. the same, it's, it's, it's one of those things where the studios also have to recognize how much has changed and you're right like i'm a big proponent of pulling all of that a lot of the stuff that happens in the entertainment out of la i want it to be a more nationwide worldwide opportunity for everyone who wants to work in the industry the fact that you yeah. have to move to la to work in the industry is a joke it, i mean that those, those days need to go away and hopefully they will as you know the pandemic has pushed people out of la people are leaving california 
as you said, there's studios opening in Oklahoma City. There's one in Savannah that just opened not too long ago. Atlanta's becoming a hotbed. Austin's becoming a hotbed. There are a lot more places, I think, that you don't necessarily need the sun and all that stuff in LA anymore. So it would be nice if we can start like branching that out. And maybe this is just another aspect of that that's starting to play itself out. Well, even, you know, maybe this sounds like a, a pandering pitch and I don't mean to be this way, but like even I'm looking forward to your newsletter um, and the fact that you're writing it from Philadelphia and not Hollywood, I think is, uh, yeah. is, is telling like we, you get a Hollywood voice and a, a pulse of the industry. There's no, there's yeah. no denying that, but you're not sitting in the Hollywood studios to figure that stuff out. Clients are still calling you. You're doing work. You're going places to make it happen. It's amazing what's possible here. And I almost feel like there, the transition we saw in the writer strike as we all went to entertainment, reality TV was created because of it, right? It's a yeah. response to yeah. it. So in a, in a stress point like this, other things will pop up. And to, yeah. to think of a, a different market, international marketplace, um, whatever that, that response might be. Um, yeah. I'll be curious. I'll be curious to kind of entertain yeah, what I mean, we'll be devouring the next 10 years. Yeah. And it, to go back to the newsletter, which is called Founders Brew, by the way, and you can all subscribe in my uh, bio and my Instagram. So please go and subscribe. No, that was a pandering uh, pitch. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pandering pitch. Yes. I, I, don't, I don't deny it. It was totally pandering. Um, but <laughs> Yes. I mean, uh, to be honest, that's part of my pitch for Vision Craft Brew as well. It's like, listen, I've got almost two decades worth of experience in the entertainment industry, but I don't live in LA anymore. I can give you a different perspective. And when I go to talent and try to, you know, pitch them on, you know, having me on board as a consultant for their marketing, for a film or whatever, I say, listen, I'm not in that world. Like I can give you a perspective you're not going to get from your agent or your manager because they live and they, their kids all go to the Brentwood school and it's the same, you know, boiling pot that everyone else and their brother, but that's not the real world. Like, you know, like Thomas Jagaeus, and I know I've said this quote a million times, but it's so brilliant. 95% of the world do not live behind gates or work behind gates. And Hollywood yeah. completely forgets that almost all the time. And I think that's sort of, again, that's part of my, to be a little bit more pandering, that's part of my pitch in that I don't, I don't live in that world. I can give you a different perspective. Okay. Pandering over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's, you know, and nothing's really that guaranteed in all of these strategies as well. Like I think the OTT platforms are still trying to figure themselves out and Hollywood, the traditional industry seems to have uh, want to easily pivot into into OTT. Maybe it wasn't easy. That's the wrong adjective, but they've pivoted to OTT and banking on that right now. Um, and with this kind of movement, you almost wonder what new opportunities there might even be in consuming entertainment, right? Because if quality is mm -hmm. disappearing or changing, or is you can get the same quality and the same talent in different markets, it totally changes. Um, yeah. But I just think of like the move, like there's nothing guaranteed. The whole thing with... Um, uh, Peacock this week mm. with, uh, you know, the swap of the leadership there just goes to show you like even Comcast is asking questions of how to do this well. And Comcast has been an yeah. industry leader in, in content and distribution for, for decades. Yeah. I, I think it's the peak. I, I'm starting to wonder or not, whether or not the feathers are starting to fall off Peacock a little bit and they've sort of started to see uh, that. Now we have a title. Ah, <laughs> there it is. Uh, and whether or not it's, because listen, one set of data or one incident is not enough to prove, okay, it's not working, but we're looking at over the last 
three or four months, at least three incidents where the story is being told, not necessarily by what Comcast is telling us, but what they're doing. For example, uh, Wall Street Journal did a deep dive into all their data not too long ago, and they speculate at most Comcast probably has around 10 million paying subscribers, which is not great. That's pretty bad considering how much money they've invested in Peacock. Um, and you know, they, the fact you can get it for free and there's a freemium model where you can get less ads and then there's totally ad free model. So 10 million with those three options is not great. Um, well, you should add Comcast subscribers to their audience though. Right. Because it is, yeah, but they're already paying into the system. So they, they're They're getting it for free. They're, they're I'm just not, saying total user base. If you're only looking at OTT yeah. that you're looking at, well, you're, I if think, you're comparing Peacock to Disney, it's not necessarily the same with set top no, boxes. It's not an Apple. It is not. You're right. It's not an Apple to Apple's comparison. That's absolutely true, but still yeah. 10 million is not a great number. <laughs> um, no, it's and not. The fact that they're, no, <laughs> they're not going to. And the <laughs> fact that they announced about a month ago that Halloween kills was going on Peacock day and day. Which was a little out of the out of nowhere. Um, it's interesting play to me because, as I've said on this podcast before, horror is one of the movies that people will pay to see, and it's one of the movies worth seeing in a theater. So it's interesting to me that they were willing to do that. I don't necessarily think that was Donna Langley's total decision. I think she, she got a little pressure from Jeff Shell, who probably got pressure from Brian Roberts. We need a big hit on Peacock. Like we need something to drive subs, and maybe this was. You know, they don't have a major talent deals probably that they had to buy off. Like if there were, it was probably middling at best. So, you know, it, it's that's another sign. And then the last sign is, of course, what just happened this past week where their former head left about quit, resigned about a week ago or two. Um, and then Kelly Campbell from Hulu, all of a sudden, boop, she's now the head president of Peacock. So there's a lot of things that are happening that lead me to believe that Peacock is not doing as well um and they want to shore it up well well they're still their competitors are still trying to i mean everyone's still chasing netflix of course but yeah you know you have paramount plus which is like what are we doing and then you know hbo max is like well we're not going to have our entire slate next year so we gotta figure out something here and it's interesting that kelly left when she did because hulu has the entertainment strategy guy has pointed out a few times on his blog has had some hits recently um with the nine strangers the uh, new steve martin comedy um murder in yeah. the building or something like that um, there's only murders in the building and, yeah i love that one, mur- by the way. it's really yeah, awesome uh, yeah and 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 then you have obviously the handsmaid's tale which made them um so it's interesting that it, it comes at this time but i also read something yesterday from matt belliani on his um uh what i've heard and apparently there's a lot of cultural issues at hulu because they've sort of always looked at themselves as a tech startup they call themselves hooligans. Um, and that doesn't seem to be vibing very well with their new corporate parent, Disney. So mm, there may have been, she might have left mm. because like this is not the company I started working for. This is not what I thought it was going to be. So it's interesting that just as Hulu's starting to kind of make a name for themselves with a few popular shows, she jumps ship and goes to Peacock. So clearly Brian Roberts and his team and Jeff Shell were like, we need to bring somebody to shake it up. So something coming in. Yeah. Yeah. This may be somebody who can really kind of help us take advantage of any new subs that are going to come in with Halloween kills coming out a week from today. Um, which by the way, shout out to universal's marketing. Your campaign has been amazing. I love it. It's great. Keep up the good work. Um, so I, I think that's ultimately 
we'll, we'll see, you know, how things play out after, after next Friday. Yeah. Oh, and after this weekend with, with bond, I think we'll get a little bit different sense of like what the audience is really going for. I think you're, there's, yeah. there is a reality that the industry is cannibalizing themselves. Like you're saying, like to just go take your, um, take your, your show or your movie and put a day and date on, on your OTT platform. It's clearly recognizing that the theaters to some degree are not going to hold the audience and you want to have as big, many viewers as possible. And maybe something like a Halloween film, they know there's only a small window to hit everybody mm -hmm. in and they might as well get as many people as possible to fit in there. Yeah. Um, but recently someone just told me like they, they said, why would I, why would I go to the theaters? I have HBO max right here on my TV set. Why, why would I go? And I, and I was trying yeah. to figure out like, because you like it. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's a, I mean, right. I think that's the question we're all asking. What is the yeah. actual difference I'm going to get from a theater? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, we go back to last weekend with Venom, which had a wonder, great weekend, $90 million. Congrats to Tom Rothman and his team for opening that movie in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and it's more than the original made. And that's all those, they hit all the notes that you want to hit when you release a sequel. It's like, boom. Um, but it'll be interesting to see with bond because the difference between Venom and bond is bond is more of an international property. Venom, for all intents and purposes, is just a parasite in this Spider-Man universe, um, <laughs> but albeit a very popular one. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Bond is an international character, beloved internationally. So, and he's also he also attracts an older audience. So we're going to see some more detail in terms of the comfort level of an older audience, comfort level across the world for people to go back to the movies, and I think we'll start to see that shake out a little bit more. I, I call you know I, I think. The optimism after last week is a little misplaced. We just don't know. I mean, it's it's Venom. I mean, I think these movies were always going to make money. Venoms, Top Gun 5, Fast and Furious 18, what have you. And any Marvel movie, at least for the next couple of years, are going to make money. It, it, they're going to do well just because they yeah. have that established brand already. It's like people know yeah. it. I'm more worried about the movies that don't have that because that people don't feel need to go to the theater. And that's where I think the real test of whether, like if there's a movie that comes out that has a big star attached or, you know, someone who's, you know, very influential in, in the media and whatnot, big director, like, I think those are going to be the real tests in terms of whether or not people are comfortable. Because I think the Venoms and the Bonds and all that of the world are always going to probably have an audience and they're going to find an audience just because of their mass appeal. But it's the other movies where they don't have that, where we're really going to see whether or not people are going to want to go to theaters and return to the way things were pre-pandemic. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting because I the over the last couple of days I've been watching just sports with my I'm in Kansas City with my family and watching some sports with them. Um, the Dodger game was packed; just the stadium was filled with people, and they weren't wearing masks. And then last night we were watching uh, Thursday Night Football. Again, stadium full of people in Seattle. They weren't wearing masks. So I feel like the, the whole pandemic excuse is kind of going away. People are obviously yeah. comfortable in, in going to places where, where there, there are large gatherings, mm -hmm. taking their masks off. And this is beyond the Met Gala. I mean, I mean talking about normal people going places with their masks off as well. But so there's definitely like a conditioning that we're recognizing as, a, I don't know, a country at least, um, if not a people group saying, hey, they're, 
that we're kind of in a situation where we're going to deal with a different reality. Um, and so I want to me, the universal appeal of bond, like you're saying, might be asking the better question than venom. Yeah. Venom's a curiosity. It's kind of a Halloween movie. It's a little bit goofy and the numbers they're pulling are, you know, best in the quote unquote pandemic, right? They're putting that qualifier on there where I think your, yeah. your, one of your assessments is it's, um, better than the original is probably a better way of recognizing like, Hey, that's, that's a win pandemic or not. you you did better than the first release. Um, but I do think that the, the model is playing itself out a little bit more than we would say six months ago, eight months ago when we're asking this question. And yeah. I think bond is the first real test, right? This is the, mm -hmm. this is the big picture moneymaker theatrical experience and it has to be done in the theaters. Um, and then maybe if they do well, Top Gun will finally get in the theaters and do their job as well. Well, Tom Cruise did say it um, uh, at a uh, show, I think it's called, I can't remember which, Show West International, basically. But he basically said, we're never going to stop. We're going to keep making movies. And, you know, so he he's he's bound and determined to get this movie out regardless. Now, I think moving it was a bit of a mistake because now it has to make even more money. But um much like what bond is facing right now because they've been punted so many times that they have to make even double almost almost a quarter more than what they would have had to have made had they not had they released it in april 2020 sure uh, being the pandemic so yeah i think bond is definitely going to be a test of it and i i think you're right about the mass thing it's interesting because last night they reopened carnegie hall in manhattan for the first time in 540 some odd days and the minute the executive director walked out and said, just said, welcome back. The crowd went crazy. So it, to me, is a sign that you're right. This idea of like perpetual masking fear, I think it's slowly ebbing and people are starting to realize like we can learn to live with this. We can go back doing our normal thing. So I think bond will definitely be a real test in terms of the comfort level. And I bring up the Carnegie Hall also because that's, a very similar audience. It's an orchestra. That's right. It's older, um, so you you see that the place was packed and people. Not everybody was masked. Some people were, but not everybody. Um, so it's again, it's one of those things where it'll be a real test to see the comfort level. Now, there's a there's the negative side of me that kind of wishes it doesn't work. So maybe people will start to be okay. Maybe we do need to change the theatrical experience a little bit to bring people back. Maybe maybe we just it's not because right now. The mixed signals are basically like, we just need to get the movies out and people will show up. Sure. Um, and, and it's sort of completely ignoring what was happening pre-pandemic, which ticket sales were going down. Every, you know, the amount of tickets being sold every year was down from 10 years before. It was made, studios were making less than they were before. And the pressure to have, just have blockbusters was even more. And I don't want all those lessons to be ignored and everyone just be like, let's just go back to the way it was because it was doing so well back then. And it really wasn't. So <laughs> Yeah, I think... Uh some of it, you know, they have, they just, they did make these movies. So to get these, the movies that are in the can released is one problem yeah. to be solved and to just get them sure. in front of an audience, get people back to the to theaters, whatever that means, you know, at least get these features kind of out of the pipeline would be, is probably one relief for a studio to know that they will get, you know, possibly an ROI on that stuff. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know if, I don't know if they will ever reconcile to say, okay, we're going to ignore the issues of the past. Clearly the last 18 months has brought, or maybe two years now, right. Has brought mm -hmm. 
a different picture of the issues that the entertainment industry has. And we've seen other things boom. You know, Disney Plus, I'm curious if Disney Plus would have been as successful without the pandemic, right? But now that it's there, it's a force to be reckoned with. And therefore, you're fighting a Disney Plus in Netflix, uh, HBO Max model, no matter what. Those are, have launched. They're out in the, in the world. Pandora, Pandora is not going to be able to put this stuff back in its box. Um, so we have to be able to navigate through it. And I, again, like, just going back to the beginning conversation, what IATSE is asking the questions of like, if this is how it's going to be, we probably need to talk about things differently. So um, I, here's the question I have, though. Marketing. So <laughs> the, you know, the marketing of the films haven't changed much. Um, the Matrix trailer, absolutely brilliant. Love the soundtrack. Absolutely gorgeous trailer. Um, the Venom TV commercials I was watching, you know, very clever. Those, uh, you know, 30 second cut downs, whatever. But mm. nobody, nobody's giving any new messaging of what a film experience would be like either. And I, I almost wonder if the setup needs to be changed of, hey, what's the message we need to get out for people to say, this is theatrical worthy of going out there and doing and seeing it in the theater. Um, and I feel that way about The Matrix. Dune, Dune feels like it has to be seen in, in a theater. Uh, James Bond feels like it has to be in the theater. Um, but not all, like Venom, I don't, like, you know, or um, what's the what's the Peacock one they're doing? Um, the Halloween movie? Uh, Halloween like, Kills. Halloween Kills, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that means, I'm pretty sure I can watch it on TV with my friends. Um, well, so here, how do we here, deal here, with the marketing side of it? Well, I, I first off, the, the question you brought up in terms of this needs to be seen in the theater, that has been a, a, an issue forever. Like when I worked on um, Ridley Scott's Moses story, we did a whole campaign on like, this needs to be seen in the theaters. Like this, the only place to see this in the theaters. When we did Avatar, it was like, this is what movies were made for or something like that. That has been an ongoing messaging strategy in marketing departments on the studios for 10 years now, because they all recognize that people have other options, other choices. So they're trying to enforce the idea. You have to see this in the theater. You can't wait 90 days until it pops up on HBO or whatever. So that I, that's not necessarily a newer issue, but I do think there's a way maybe for them to be a little more creative in terms of the messaging for Halloween kills, for example, although I do think the campaign for that has been great. They've been, cutting materials that are more longer form. And what I mean by that is they're playing out scenes, not being all choppy cutty. Like one of their, their last trailer was literally like a 15 second, uh, almost uncut scene. It was maybe cut up cut, like maybe like a second or two. And that's how you scare people. Like you drag them in and then you just, you don't cut it up and people, so, and people get just drawn in that way. So that in itself is always a tech that's going to work regardless the one thing I would say is a messaging strategy that may work if if they were convinced about doing theater would be a theatrical experience or if they were committed to that and it wasn't doing Peacock would be to do testimonials about people who love seeing movies in the theater, especially. Oh, for really? Movies. You think the testimonials, does that really work? Well, I mean, I, I'm I've not seen saying it for years. I mean, yeah, my whole lifetime. But it, but, 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 it, but it's it's something new. If you get younger people just talking about, oh my god, this is the scariest movie. It was so great to see the theater. La 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 la. Or oh yeah, right. you know, show people jumping. I mean, look what John Krasinski did with um with Quiet Place Two. They ran campaign for just just walking into a theater, everyone going nuts. Woo, we're in a theater. I mean, 
that got people excited to go back. It's it's a similar thing. Yes, it's a tired trope, the testimonials, I agree. Yeah. But at the same time, if it's done in the right way, it, it can get across the message that this is the kind of movie that you really want to see in theater. Welcome back to theaters. I mean, it's a it's a better way of getting at audiences than what AMC is doing with Nicole Kidman. Oh, no, you're totally right. I mean, I, that I, I often forget ad. like how easy marketing is. Like marketing really is yeah. like if you model it for people, it always works, right? That's it's just yeah. that when you're sometimes when you're watching it, like, does this because it's so in your face, but clearly, yeah, the message is is like, no, people are people are in the theaters and they like it. You should join us. Um yeah. is a, always a clear message. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of complicated because different than, you know, Avatar, where you're saying this is what movies are made for. Yeah. Today, that same studio says this is what movies are made for. So watch on, on your television set or in the theater. We don't care because they're doing day and date <laughs> releases. So like they can't they're not saying watch it before it comes out 30 days from now. They're now saying, well, yeah. we don't care which I don't uh, And that's like I that distinct that distinction is something like we're going to fight and you're going to be fighting the messaging way before the people experience it in the theaters or where experience where they're, they're going to watch it. Um, yeah. And I think that's the complication is the, 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 the movie marketers are going to have a, a brand new uh, issue to deal with. And there's gotta, there's going to be some sort of formula they're going to have to find to get people to recognize this is theatrical worthy please go to the theater and buy the ticket because there's also at the same day, a television version of it coming out. <laughs> and, you know, if you don't want to go in the theaters, this isn't right time for you. Your health isn't up or whatever. We don't want but, you to miss the film, but you know, it's worth. Well, I, I, I also think it's also part and parcel of, 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 of mimicking somewhat the mod. I mean, I hate mimic. I hate when studio, Back when I was at Fox, we always used to say, can I see the campaign for this? I want to see what they did so I can try to figure out how I may be able to I hate that. Like I'd much yeah. rather you cheat each movie as in and of itself as the only as the idea and the, the idea generator instead of looking back to see what other studios did that was so brilliant. Like we got a lot of pressure when we were doing the third X-Men to mimic Man of Steel and the emotional campaign that Man of Steel is like, well, that's not X-Men. I mean, come on. Like that's never been X-Men. It's never been like that emotional but i mean we were eventually able to find a happy medium but i, I just don't like starting it from that perspective but i think what what may work best is to sort of look at how successful the quiet place 2 model was with getting john krasinski in those theaters and showing him in the theater. but that wasn't day and date right i mean they they no, did it was do it during theaters. the pandemic yeah yeah but that was it i mean i guess the, my thing is is that it's when the Studios making the decision to do day and date. To do both. How yeah. does the marketer say it is worth going to the theater when the studio is not even saying that? They're saying you can watch it wherever. Well, you want yeah, to. that 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 in and of itself is always. I don't know how you square that circle, honestly. I mean, it, it it's, it's going to be the challenge. Go see, <laughs> yeah. see in the theater. I mean, the other thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's to go see it in the theater. But you can also see it on Peacock because it, it 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 that's where the complication is always going to be because Wall Street and its investors want you to want you to go see the Peacock because that drives up the stock price and that's one of the reasons why a lot of studios put their stuff on streamers because that's what this what investors care about streaming numbers right. they don't care about theatrical 
Um, and nobody, nobody can really say for sure how much money is left on the table when you do day and day. Um, everyone can speculate, oh, well, all of HBO's movies would have been much better if Warner Brothers just kept them in theater. Well, we don't know that. There's no, there's no way to prove that. Um, yeah. I, I, that. That is definitely a challenge for sure. I think at the end of the day, you have to say, what's our priority here? Are we going to push a theatrical experience with the added benefit? Oh, you can see also see it on Peacock if you really want to, but I'm seeing yeah. the theater where it's big and awesome. I mean, Keith, I don't, I don't you, think I don't you're going to, that, that's probably not what you should advise your clients to say. And I'm not really sure that's the message is like, oh, you can see it if you want no. to. <laughs> you can see it if you want to. But, I mean, but that, that's again, the, the, the complication and the one thing you can do, and I, I have noticed this with Halloween Kills, which I think is somewhat brilliant, is you do a VO where you just say in theaters, blah, 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 but you don't say Peacock. You show it, you just don't say it. Yeah. Um, that That is one way to try to balance that a little bit by saying in theaters on blah, 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 in theaters, October 15th. And then you just say available on Peacock. <laughs> just, <laughs> like, don't say it. It's just written there. So they whisper like, oh, it on the other side. They yeah, whisper yeah. it. But then you almost feel like you're just you're beating a peacocker along the way, because then you're like, oh, the the investment over there is a secondary investment. I know it's uh, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's for another day to figure out. I I feel like Kelly Campbell and her team are going to kind of put us to the test. And that's going to be an ongoing issue (laughs) for some time. That's for sure. And I'll say it it kind of uh, roots in that what to watch problem that we've we've always addressed yep. is like wh- where now it's almost a, not just what to watch, but where, where to watch it. Um, where to even watch. more complicated. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend, thank you very much. It's been a, a great to see you again. I, I, we will talk next week after watching James Bond. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm going to the nice. theaters, to watch James Bond. You're going to go to the theaters, to watch James Bond. So we'll, we'll see. We'll I don't, people no, I don't I'm, I'm traveling. I'm traveling this weekend. So I don't know if I'm going to have time, but we'll see. I might, I might try to see it before, uh, because it'll be my first time in a theater. And God, I can't remember when. I hate to admit that, but well, that's um, yeah, that's interesting. Connor just went to the theater. Connor, who helps us, is he went to the theater this week, and he uh, he called me. He's like, "I'm in the theater." <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in like, the theater. It's amazing. <laughs> why? I'm like, why am I the only going to the theater for the last year? Everyone else is waiting, uh, waiting. What's going on here? Well, we'll see. I mean, um, I, I think they're playing it at Bryn Mawr Film Institute, so maybe I'll sneak in for an afternoon and check. Just it out. so you know, they do have midweek movie theater uh, times too. Just you know, not just the weekend. <laughs> Thanks, thank you. What would I do, Lydia? Lydia, thank you so much for keeping this show going and for your beautiful birthday song today. It was awesome to see it. Yes, Michelle. Tim's birthday. Happy birthday, Tim. Woo! He's 45. 45. <laughs> I always tell people I'm 60, so they say, wow, you look really good for 60. I'm like, thanks. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's a good. Yeah, anyway, it's better than saying I, I interrupted 30. your diatribe. No, no <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank Michelle. Michelle helps us every week pulling these clips together. So you might be watching a short version of this on LinkedIn or YouTube or something like that on Instagram. So Michelle, thanks for all the help you do. Um, Go social team for keeping us going. And of course, Connor, wherever he might be today, I'm sure he's enjoying himself. And uh, thank you for keeping things going for us. Keith, as always, it's good to be with you. Uh, Who's coming next week? Next week, we have uh, Robin Geisen returning. So... Awesome. Very exciting to welcome some, our, our one of our very first guests on Hollywood Break. She's coming back yet again. So that that should be great. She'll be fun. that's great. I have some questions for Robert. So I'm glad oh, she's coming. Oh, back. Nice. Yeah. 
and I'll probably set up a coffee date with her too. So you'll there'll be a th- yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Do something else to leave me out of it. Sure. Go for it, Tim. Just do uh, it. I I I think might be going on strike for the baristas or not. So we're going to coffee. Yes, the baristas will not. So you'll still be able to have coffee dates. All right. Well, thank you for watching. Thank you for being part of our Hollywood Breaks family. And if you like what you see and you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. It helps other people find our message and get it out there. Um, And until next week, we'll see you on Hollywood Breaks. Good to see you, Keith. And don't forget to subscribe to my Founders Brew newsletter. You can find it on my Instagram bio. So Founders Founders Brew newsletters coming out next week. Founders Brew newsletters coming out next week. Yes. Yes. And we can find that on... <laughs> on my Instagram page, Hollywood Breaks underscore Keith in the bio section. All right, bye. Okay, there you go. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs>